Hello and welcome to Incremental's podcast series, We're All Mad Here. Today's episode is quite special as I've had the privilege and luxury to interview Thomas Petit. Thomas is one of my favorite people in the industry as he's smart, opinionated, open to be challenged and has a no bullshit approach. Thomas is highly respected in the mobile advertising community as he's the perfect combination of being smart and unbiased. While we don't always agree on everything, I highly respect his views and I'm always excited when we have an opportunity to chat. We had fun talking about MMPs, Google Privacy Sandbox, fingerprinting and more. Enjoy our interview! Are you ready? Yeah. So, Thomas Petit, who are you? Uh, hello everybody. Uh, I don't know who I am. I'm a <laughs> French guy. I live in Spain. I work with company across the world. I love what I do. I fell in the app world and somehow I'm still in it a few years later. And I like what I do, so I'm sticking around. But like, you know, Thomas Petit is kind of like a trademark in, in our industry. How, how did you become Thomas Petit? Like, can I just rename myself uh, legally and then I become, I, I guess not. So how did you become Thomas Petit? I guess like... Same thing as for the, the following the app world fairly early, like kind of, I got lucky by being at the right place at the right time in, in my early days, just discover how this app marketing works or at least try to understand. And there was not a lot of speakers. Those who were there, I think were pretty corporate, not, not average in level, but they had a, a narrative that they needed to sell. And I was kind of one of the very first speaker in this niche to have the liberty of, I say whatever I want. And, and it kind of worked. Uh, today is different. There's a lot more people that say hard truth out loud and I'm happy to, but uh, I was kind of lucky that back, back in those days, the, the hard truths, they were a bit kept under the, the carpet. So I guess, I guess that's how it happened. I, I'm not smarter than anyone. I just, I just decided that I didn't want to, to keep stuff under the carpet. To be fair, I, I know you, I think you are smarter than a lot of people. So yeah. you can also take some compliments and like also like accept who you are. You, you do understand, I think, this industry more than 95% of the people. Some corners of the industry, maybe. I still have a lot of areas I'm, I'm working on. Uh, there are actually big chunks of, of ad tech, mobile ad tech that I'm under average, so which is good. It gives me space to keep learning all the time. Uh, fantastic. Cool. And what was your career path? Like, again, what brought you to oh, this yeah. point? All right. I'll try to not make it too long. I did some general business school. Um, everybody was going trading or general marketing, like product manager for L'Oreal or something like this. I said, no, oh, I don't like that. I started... <laughs> Actually, I, 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 was, I was already in love with the online stuff, but there was no class or anything. Uh, I, I took a small job in like online marketing, more or less. Uh, very early on, like early 2000. A uh, friend of mine came to me, say, hey, let's build this company, SaaS for doctors. Um, I thought that was cool. I joined him. Um, worked hard, very hard for two years, no money, um, and failed. Uh, failed my investor, failed my, like everybody. I managed to keep it friend with my co-founder, which is unusual when you fail. And uh, and after that, I didn't know what to do like, because when you build a company, you kind of do a little bit of everything. So I was a bit lost about where I'm going to. And 
I looked for a job, nothing, nothing I saw sticked. And I started helping a, a guy who had an incubator, like an internet e-commerce and SaaS incubator for free, uh, even though I was completely broke. And that was beautiful. That was the time social media was starting, setting up Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts for, for B2B stuff, like e-commerce, B2B. It was kind of fun, a lot of learning, a bit of data, a bit of marketing, a bit of product, uh, really fun stuff. Uh, I stayed kind of the e-commerce and SaaS for maybe three, four years back then. And then the app world were really exploding. And I said, oh, this is cool. I want a new toy. I always want a new toy. I'm a, I'm a bit of a kid in that sense. And I sent my CV everywhere. They were only gaming company at the time and they all rejected me. Like, no, we're looking for somebody with three, four years gaming experience, uh, mobile marketing experience, which obviously didn't exist at the time. Um, <laughs> I said, okay, they just don't want me. That's fine. Up to the moment, some founder, very early stage, uh, just trusted that, uh, that I could learn fast. And that's what I did. Um, yeah. Uh, catch one of the first non-gaming big boost. And that helped a lot. It is really just about that, right? It's just about the ability to learn fast. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of luck of being on the right time in the right place. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's about learning fast. Like, uh, it's all about it. I, I was helping a, a young talent last week whose um, startup failed and is switching job. And I mean, you can see the guy is learning so fast. It's impressive. He's very young, doesn't have like five years of experience or whatever. But you can feel the, the the speed of learning, and of course, when you feel that, he got five big offers in a week. Like uh, because that's just the ta the thing we all want. The industry is moving so fast. Like having ten years of experience, if you keep applying stuff from two thousand twelve, you're dead. Like uh, this is the only talent that matters in this industry, I believe. Yeah, I agree. You know, I used to interview a lot of people when I was uh, heading up Uplift, and there I, I would always have these candidates who said, "I'm looking for stability." There is no stability. Uh, it's go, just go it's... to another kind of company. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I even had once someone uh, junior leaving because her parents didn't get what the company was doing, so she ended up going to <laughs> she ended up going to Siemens because that's what certain people do, you know. Uh, in my circle, none of our parents understand what we do. <laughs> that, that's completely fine. You know, it's like... Um, yeah, it's fine. And, but I, it's and why... I guess very soon it's going to be on us. We're not going to understand what the, what the next generation is doing, you know? So be careful about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're dinosaurs. You know, I was actually shocked to know how old you actually were. Because you, yeah, you don't look that. I, I, I've looked young my whole life, but now my big belly is uh, is telling the truth for me. <laughs> well, we're on Zoom, so I see you face up, and you look uh, you look much younger. Um, you know, recently, my... uh, yeah, Sorry. recently I was you were there. I did a panel with all the MMPs in Berlin, all the MMPs mm -hmm. other than Tenjin. Let's correct something now. And honestly, it felt like there was a general fear of. Thomas Petit, you were in the first row. Many of them commented on the fact that you're there. Why do they fear your views? No, I don't think they feared it at all. They, I'm friends with half of them, and they thought that I would ask nasty questions, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I don't think they feared it at all. It was, it was more friendship, uh, I believe. So it's like a professional bantering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually consider myself friends with all of them. And again, it's like 
People often thought this uh, panel I did is going to be very spicy. I'm going to tackle them. No, they're like, you know, I respect no. these companies. I yes, I have, I have opinions on like what I think they are doing right, what they think they're doing wrong, but everyone's entitled for their opinions. They've been a fundamental piece on the industry for so long, and there's a huge amount of great talent in those companies. Things have changed. I still believe they have a great role to play that is different from before. There's a lot of adjustment. It's, it doesn't mean they, they, they became from mandatory to use less in a day at all. And, and I respect a lot what they did, but actually what they do now in, in education, in, in uh, they're a very important piece of this industry. So Whoever you are, thinks you, different is, is, is missing something. So you literally now prepared yourself to the next question I had. <laughs> what is, I asked them the same question, and of course they gave me their answer, but I would love your answer. Mm -hmm. What is the role of an MMP in a post-privacy world? I, I believe it's twofold. One is, they're probably going to disagree, but... Um, I believe the MMP before ATT had become a little bit of a commodity and that a lot of the value they give is in the, the, the services. Like in, so now it's all about education, helping you understand the complexity of this new world and the transition and so on. There's a massive value in this and that's definitely a big arm of it. Um, it was already there before. This is not new. Like the tool itself is very, like is, as it's used, but it was always only part of the story. The other one, and it's not new either, is actually uh, covering the whole cases. It's not about, oh yeah, I was tracking through the IDFA and now I'm tracking through ATT, uh, through SCAN. There's a part of the consented cohort. There's a web to app on your own and own media. There's uh, Android. There's having an app SDK and a web SDK. There's like the the, there's not one source of truth anymore, which they claim to be for a very long time, and it kind of worked for simplicity. Now that that belief is gone, uh, whether it was right or wrong is another question, but now it, it can't be. So they have to help us in education and in, in a, like, uh, yeah, I mean, helping everybody understand, but also provide different tools for each use case. And even for scan itself, I mean, on paper, can you scan without an MMP? Good luck with that. It's a freaking nightmare. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say uh, in the diversification of the tool, because there's a lot of use cases that are different each and so, uh, navigating themselves on your own in tooling is, is a pain point, but also in, in services, in, in, in explaining your stuff, in having questions. I've got a bunch of people, they come to me like, oh, how do I do that? I'm like, Ask your MMP, that's your job. I mean, I can, I can answer, but uh, you're going to have to pay me 500. Like, ask your MMP, they actually pay to do that. Like, that's, that's a big chunk of their job. And I think a lot of them actually do it really well. Uh, very good knowledge level in their, I don't know, abstract call them CSM. Uh, I don't know what I just call them, but uh, a lot of them have a very good knowledge of the industry. So rely on them, ask them. They're paid for that. You know, it's like, so I think that they would have probably like accepted and uh, went with your answers, I think that the people who would not love this answer would be actually either the CEOs or their investors. Because there's a big difference between running a SaaS yeah. company that is growing by yeah. itself versus a service company. 
Yeah, the, the, it's not what the investor world uh, wants, uh, that's for sure. And it's a big difference from before in terms of scalability. Uh, the problem, I mean, if they didn't see it coming, uh, it's not my problem. Uh, the other one who's not going to be too happy with that is Apple because they thought they would get rid of them and it's absolutely not the case. <laughs> I actually had a question about WWDC. The rumors were talking about two major things that could happen. One would be private relay on all traffic, so essentially no fingerprinting. Yeah. And second, related, unrelated, the Apple search engine. Yeah, I always... Okay, so let me answer each on my... It's just opinions here, like speculation. Uh, private really on the app traffic. It might come up someday, but uh, when, when I was reading the rumor, I was like, yeah, it makes sense that Apple does it. But technically, that's a pain for Apple. Like, this is major amount, like a massive amount of traffic. Like... Uh, it's a huge cost. It's just a problem to deal with. And I kind of had the feeling that they're going to end up dealing with fingerprinting in another way that rerouting everything, which I believe is, is really major, like in terms of problems for them compared to the, to the issue itself. Uh, might come today. I might be wrong, but, uh, I always felt like, yeah, that's a bit of a really bazooka situation on it. Um, they can deal with some of the issue in the, in the background. They, I don't want to say they're slow, but they're progressive about enforcement, so they might enforce it in a different way. It could have been. It's just I'm not entirely surprised they didn't. Um, and the other one, um, so you say private relay? What was the other one again? Sorry. Search engine. The oh, yeah, the search engine. <laughs> uh, it's not. It, I believe it will come, but it's not going to come in the day. It's going to be small iteration uh, and a little bit of Siri search here and Spotlight and stuff. It's not going to be, there's nothing, and suddenly Apple launched its own Google competitor. I believe there will be steps, um, and I believe it will come in the long term. But you're not replacing a $15 billion from a dead to another. And technically, it's a massive challenge. Um, Apple is certainly has the resources to, to achieve it, but not, not like it's not going from nothing to something. I believe there will be steps in it. So it will take a few years to, to get there. So I'm not entirely surprised. Um, they didn't make big, big announcement on small, small steps. I was expecting small steps towards search. Radically different series stuff, radically different app store search, small, small, like little by little and eventually get there. Um, in parallel, I don't know if you followed, but there's a bunch of new search. I mean, the search engine industry was dead for the last 10 plus years, basically because that battle is won and nobody could win it. I'm actually surprised that in the last one, two years, a lot of, of alternative are starting to pop up. There was a very famed article on, on A16Z uh, blog, blog recently. Um, but I've seen a few of them. Uh, there's Brave. Uh, I'm using Brave Search a lot. DuckDuckGo. Uh, but actually, there are a few tiny companies that are launching there, like Startup is one. Neva is one. That's a paid search engine. Um, there's one called Kagi. Uh, AI Shref is launching one that's called Yelp. Slowly, maybe Apple is just gonna end up buying one of those. Um, people have speculated that they would buy DuckDuckGo for a long time. Um, maybe they'll get there, but. If we ever see an Apple search engine that can compete with Google, my bet is that that's going to take at least three, four, five years. I would agree. I also kind of expected something and maybe not like the tech search like Google, but for sure Apple has an incentive. Apparently Apple pays Google a 
billion a year? Like, no, 15, sorry, 10, 15 yeah, billion. something. So, well, so that's, th that's like pure EBIT. So they, they definitely have the incentive and motivation to do that. But I was expecting, again, maybe audio search, like, because they have an angle. They can come from multiple directions into search. They have it yet. And App Store search sucks, like terrible, absolutely yeah, terrible. It's really bad. It's really bad. That's actually surprising how bad it is. Like, uh, given the amount of people that look on the App Store every week, given how much Apple wants to control distribution in general, discoverability and, and its store, I find it extremely surprising that the pace of change is not faster. Uh, Honestly, I, th I think one of the reasons why Apple search ads is not such a bad channel. So I, I obviously, I have a certain bias towards search in general. Okay. It's yeah, uh, me too. Uh, you're targeting intent. You're going to get intent. Uh, on the other hand, the search is so bad on the app store that it kind of makes sense for you to bid on a, like a, a list of very, very long uh, uh, keywords as well. Even uh, like, uh, you know, arbitrary keywords because otherwise you're just not going to get the users. Yeah. <clears throat> I think this is where like people talk about search in a very generalized way. And, and some of these newcomers uh, that compete with Google search actually say it like, there's nobody that will replace Google. It's going to be replaced by um, alternative that do something different. Either it's boutique search or stuff and like vertical search and so on, audio search, like kind of a different use case, not something that comes and is better than Google to do Google's job, but actually beat something in another way, in a completely different way. We can see how millennials search in a very different way, typically, how they don't come and click and search in a search the on the phone like in a very different way but if if you come to the to the store search i believe people even if it's said and it's not, not nothing new i'm saying but like how different searching in an app store and searching in a in a web search engine are like they're completely different ways of of looking for something and the stored search i mean the amount of people that go and don't search for a very specific thing and usually a brand is very limited and uh, for the last five years, I've battled to go for the long tail in search and I do the job because I like it. And for my clients, sometimes a five, 10% increment. But yeah, I'm, I'm spending 80% of my time to bring a 10% increment because the other battle, like the 80% of search is very clearly branded with a specific intention of which you can probably derive one, 2% at best. Uh, and that's it. And it's a battle worth fighting because the platform decided it was going to be this way, that they're going to monetize this, this placement at the top of the search. But intellectually speaking, it's, it's relatively limited in terms of, of challenge. But maybe it's a chicken and the egg. Like on Google, you can go and search for, I don't know, that guy who played in that series. And you're going to likely get mm -hmm. the result you were thinking of. It's, it's mm -hmm. incredible. The App Store, I think we were in a way conditioned to search for brand or to mm. have to remember, and it's not discovery. Search is yeah, just that, not that's discovery. That's very interesting. So I, what you're trying to say is if search on the store were different, maybe the habits of people would be different and we would be searching for, oh, what is the last game? And I want a fitness app for guys who want to improve their biceps or I want like, or whatever use case, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, 
probably true in to some extent. That's an interesting angle. Um, but it's also a self-reinforcing thing that now with the power I have it, the app store I've been there for 10 plus years, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to change that. Uh, it would take a very radically approach to search on the store to change in terms of how the layout is, what are the suggestions, how the results are displayed and so on. Um, I feel we're a bit far from that, but uh, it would be cool to see it one day. Yeah, I'm all in for that. Well, talking about search, uh, let's get to Google. So uh, I asked the same question again in the MMP panel, um, and I'm going to ask yeah. you the same. Google Android Privacy Sandbox, do you think Google's going to play by its own rules? Uh, I'm not sure I fully understand the question. If the question is, are the rules going to apply to itself? The answer is no. Like, that's clear. Like, uh, are they taking a probably better approach than Apple? Yes. I mean, a lot of people have said, like, they give time, they're asking for feedback. I usually have my own like perception on what they do with our feedback, but uh, at least they're asking for it. Uh, doesn't mean it's gonna end up anywhere but the bin, but that's still something, it is to be nice, they ask. Um, and some of the approach, they're either very smart, uh, like the sandboxing, I think Apple's gonna end up doing it the exact same way. Um, some of the stuff like topics and all there, there's a lot of interesting things we'll see how it end up so they did good by being slow by asking by inventing some proper innovative potential solution to it so that's beautiful are they gonna apply those rules to their own product i'm 100 percent convinced that not and i even have evidence that they won't okay define Elaborate. I actually laugh because there was this question at the MFP panel the other day at Abgo Summit, and some people say, yeah, we don't know, like, uh, and I asked some spicy question of the panel because I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to be a douche with anyone on the panel. So I asked, and I said, yeah, to believe Google has made such a massive investment on Firebase to get everybody implemented in the last four years. Is going to really sandbox Firebase. There's no way they're sandboxing Firebase. Firebase is getting in a, I don't have evidence for this. It's just I'm convinced. One evidence I have is if you work in the kids app space, so the kids app, it's kind of a funny thing because we're able to see the future before everybody does. Uh, we get apply everybody's rule one or two years ahead. So three years ago, Apple said, okay, kids app can't use the IDF anymore. Then they delayed the, the, the enforcement a little bit and they timed the enforcement just right with ATT. Like, okay, now you really can't. But then there was an alternative, which is SKR network. So KidsApp can still run SKR network um, inventory and so on. And Google usually follows those uh, measures with one, two years in, a, in later, let's say. So that was the case for LAG that now comes now. And that was the case for kids app and that will be the case for ATT in a different way and SCA network in a very different way, but it will follow. In the case of kids app, so last year, Apple timed together enforcement to the kids app and SCA network. Um, this year, Google started enforcing no more ADID, the Android IDFA uh, in April, uh, very recently, but they didn't provide any alternative. Um, and you look at kids app and their option today are either acquire traffic blindly, no, no sort of tracking, uh, uh, acquire traffic illegally, track them in a way that is not compliant. Uh, some of them do, or 
by the inventory to Google Ads because Google gave it say, itself an, an exception in there. Like they don't use the ADID, but they use signals they get from the store and you don't only get installed, you get installed events, whatever, like directly from the console. So for me, that's evidence that they have zero intention of applying the rules of the whole industry to themselves, just like Apple did, same thing. So let me ask you actually a very, very interesting question. Did Google's performance deteriorate following this change? For you? I have an NDA under this. Uh, mm. I'm going to say it's fairly the same. Okay. Because, you know, Facebook. I have a sample of like, one, so I don't want to make a hard uh, statement. No, no, no. But again, I'm, I'm asking you. Okay. So, like, you know, with Facebook and ATT take, for example. So, Facebook lost on both sides. One is obviously they cannot, like, target as yes. well. But they can also do the lookalike. Uh, they can also not do the lookalike. So they got hurt both on the performance side for advertisers and on the monetization side mm -hmm. um, for other publishers, essentially, and themselves. Mm -hmm. So even if the from a performance standpoint, and we see it, you know, even if uh, there is no attribution data, we still see performance on Facebook, but it is not as good good as it used to be. Yeah, it works with some degradation. Uh... For, for this on Google, it's hard for me to say because I've got a sample of one, so obviously uh, that's what it is. Uh, also because that particular app uh, doesn't monetize through ads, which for underage kids is a challenge. I mean, acquiring for kids app is really complicated. Monetizing through ads for kids app, I don't want to hear and hear about. Uh, another level of challenge. Uh, for, for what I can see, uh, my answer would be no. Like, I'm not seeing this degradation um, because Google still owns both sides of the of the chain in this case. So they do have the signals. They gave the, themselves the right to use them. So I think it's a very different case in the sense of, one, the inventory of Facebook and Instagram, which is like only their own and own, compared to the inventory of UAC, which is a mix of AdMob plus Google Search plus Play Store plus YouTube is very, very different in nature, but also the signals they can't use are very different by Google being the platform. Uh, Facebook is not the platform, so you can't compare. Apple is only running on search on its own and own without anything beyond the install, so you can't compare either. But I would say, no, this is not the same case. Like, no. Okay. Um, how would you differentiate, or would you, probabilistic attribution and fingerprinting. So it depends if you're saying probabilistic attribution in aggregate or not. Like if it's not in aggregate, that's fingerprinting. It's the same thing to me. Like uh, if it, it's not exactly the same thing, but uh, I would I would say that's pretty much the same thing. You're trying to like tie with some level of confidence and reliability, but you're basically saying, okay, that user is the one that click on that ad and I can follow him up after. So for me, that's the same if you're proceeding at user level. There is a probabilistic uh, attribution that only aims at aggregate, which is, well, I estimate that from the 10K install that entered yesterday, 2,000 are coming from Facebook, but not that it's uh, Joe, Susan, and Paul. Um, just like they're 2,000. I don't care who they are. Obviously, in terms of... of Ability for marketer, it's a much weaker weapon if you just attribute in aggregate. This is where the whole industry is going. 
it still helps at a directional level for, for budget allocation, for is my company going okay? Obviously it doesn't help for um, targeting and deep optimization. And so that's how we differentiate it. Is this, so I think we should specify, is this user level uh, probabilistic you know, I, attribution I, I had, or aggregated? I had, I had this conversation with Eric in one of the MDM podcasts. And uh -huh. Bottom line, I think when, when certain companies refer to probabilistic, they are saying fingerprinting. It's just, I think probabilistic is a fancier word for fingerprinting, especially since there is a, you know, there is a consensus saying fingerprinting right now on iOS is risky. You, you basically create a platform risk for not just one of your customers, for all. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. No, but it's like probabilistic. I, I clearly, they don't want people to do that and it's infringing. They let it go for a short time and... And oh, we both know that there are certain companies. Yeah. Okay. No, there are still companies doing it. We know that. Yeah, and again, I think calling them, it probabilistic uh, a few of my is clients, uh, no problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. People will people tap will on try. it when it's there. Whether it's in three months or a year that this is gone, it will be gone. It's it's like the if and how don't matter. It's when. So if you think this is a tactic that you need for the next six months and it's good for you, good. But plan ahead, like. If a day to another it's shut down because of whatever, private relay, because they shut down the MAP, because they whatever, they sanction, they remove your app or whatever, then what do you do next? And I think, yeah, okay, sure, my boss wants performance for next week and he's asking me, oh, how was last weekend? But you also expect me, uh, hey, what's, what's our game plan for the next three years? And uh, I think it's very interesting to think very short term and long term. Uh, I'm not saying don't use it. I'm just saying be prepared. Like uh, it can go one day to another. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's in two years. I have no idea, but it's going off. So talking about this being prepared, and obviously I would say Incremental enjoyed enjoyed this momentum. Like when we started the company, you know, we knew of a fraction of people who understood what we are doing, why we're doing it. Now a lot of people are essentially forced. But I think again, you know, I. I would appreciate your opinion, and I have my own opinion as well. Do you think incrementality can replace the need for last touch attribution? Uh, you're not going to like my answer. <laughs> let's no. see. No. I agree with you, we, but let's see we, why, got, why you we've think got so. A toolbox of, uh, we've got a toolbox of, I mean, it's what I said before. Like For a long time, we lived in a probably flawed, but easy reality of, I have one method, I trust it, it's one source of truth, and I go according to that. I was actually kind of interested back then to run some other analysis, like MMM and other, to try to, like, hey, is this actually what I'm really getting? And sometimes I got surprises. Uh, one of them that I'm not using that much anymore, and my shares are was shit, so I don't care, but uh, uh, Pinterest was, completely like whatever we spend money there, like it was having a massive effect on, on the other channel, even though the last touch was saying that no, and that was a great learning. So now this is gone. It's not like this is a luxury to check this out is we have to, there are different ways of attributing and incrementality is one of them. The reason I answered no is I think there are two issues with kind of replacing last touch with incrementality. The first one is that incrementality is very useful for strategy, budget allocation, channel level decision, but it is not for media buyers like campaign optimization and decision. And 
sometimes if the difference is big, it can say, oh yeah, this creative is really nailing it. But at, at, an, at, a, at a granular level, um, the, the more granular you go and the more uncertainty there are, there is, but um, channel manager need some kind of signal at granular level to keep optimizing. I think it's more interesting the higher up you are in the in the food chain, in the in the ladder in the company. Like basically, the the higher you are, the more you should rely on that and not care too much about how optimization is run. And the more you are the hands in the motor, the more it's kind of like okay, this is showing this, but I need to figure out otherwise, like some other signals. The the second reason is, and you're not gonna like it either, but. Uh, if change are big enough, uh, they appear clear. But many times, I think everything with data, the result is I'm not sure. I don't have the confidence enough to know, or I need to reduce my level of confidence to get a result, or answer unclear, non-applicable. Like, and every time the change is not massive enough, this will be the answer. Um, so that means that it's super healthy to have it. It's unhealthy to rely only on that. That's that's my perspective. So you said I, I'm not going to like it, but actually, Thomas, I completely <laughs> agree with you. Uh, and I say this all the time because I would say my approach or incremental's approach is uh, like, you know, last touch, good, bad, it's fact. Okay. This was the last touch. Sometimes it's not necessarily the last touch. It's the last touch with the most context. I don't know. It's like, you know, a click with an IDFA is stronger than impression with an IP. But putting it aside... It's fact. It's like we cannot really argue with that. I do think yeah. that again, it's like both. Like a, a smart marketer will utilize attribution, incrementality, and then MMM. And I often get asked about MMM. Like, hey, does incremental also do future prediction and so on? That's MMM. And I always say I don't think any third-party SaaS should be building an MMM for you. Maybe again, you take Facebook Robin, which is kind of you know a framework. It's not a product per se. You cannot just. Yeah install it and use it. You need to actually like build it. Mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic because an MMM model needs to have a bias that is added by the analyst that is building the prediction. So again, maybe I'm too brutally honest. You know, if some of my investors are listening to this uh, podcast, sorry, sorry, incremental is the best. We're going to like continue growing. All's good. But uh, I would say to marketers and to customers, I'd rather be like brutally honest. Like, you know, at creative testing, you don't need us. Use your last touch. It's good enough. Audience yeah. testing, good enough. Okay. Understanding if a, a channel is creating a real impact or not so much, mm -hmm. eh, incrementality is going to give you a good enough answer. A very, very yeah. good answer. Yeah, I would, tend, uh, I would tend to agree on that. I mean, I, the, the problem here is that the level of complexity, like, as the level of uncertainty is rising, the level of complexity of how we have to look at it is rising as well. And that means that it takes more resource instead of having one tool, I've got several of them. And to build a proper MMM, you need not only solid data analysis resource, but you also need to be very well informed about business goal. You can have the best data analyst in the world if they don't understand the context of your business and how and the app store and specific channel, how they work, where the placement is and so on. The, this, the, the, the way it's built is wrong. And that means that only very big teams can afford to get there. Like, because you need the data analyst, because you, a team, because you also need the, the context, 
and then in parallel incrementality and in parallel your UA buyer is just it's just a lot more complex and I have to say it's it, it's becoming tricky when when you're in the early stage because then before just plug the MMP I trust this I don't have to worry too much about it but now it's harder to to do at a small scale if you're big enough definitely invest in these different views at least they will inform your decision a little bit higher they will not provide simple answer and that's the thing is simplicity is gone you just have to accept it so whether you deal with it with i can't do that i don't have the time it's not my business and i accept a lower level of of decision that's fine or i want a slightly higher level of decision and then you need to deploy uh, serious resources to have different models um, mmm incrementality last touch UATT stuff android webinar blah 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 it's just yeah uh, simple is gone i find i find in a way it's it's kind of a, an enjoyment for me in the sense that it was getting a little bit boring, you know. Uh, channel had, had been largely automated. There was just one source of truth. At some point, I was like, okay, what do I do now? I mean, I, I suck at creative ide ideation myself. So, of course, this is a field that is, has grown a lot and keeps growing. And those who can organize your user-generated content and find the latest video, of course, the value is immense. I'm just terrible at this, so they kind of saved me with this complexity that I need to explain other people, I need to train different kind of profile to understand the context of this, and I need myself to keep up to date into into this whole rising complexity. I, f I find it stimulating in a way. Oh, it, 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 you know, it gives us jobs. Yeah, it gives me job, but uh, but I'm also enjoying the job. It not only it gives me job, it pays the rent. Is uh, I'm actually liking the the trajectory of of discovering stuff every day and having conversation with some of the top experts in the industry, some of the, the hundred people who know most about this. And on the second sentence, they, they, they're telling you that they're also figuring it out on the way. And, and I think this is really refreshing. Uh, by the way, I, I, I was, I really, really, I was very grateful, not just because of incremental, I was very grateful when Apple made their announcement because I think that the, oversimplification of UA, the fact that you could just throw a budget at Facebook uh, and it just worked, was on the one hand incredible, but on the other hand was very risky. You could not recreate that as a marketer. Yeah, I guess uh, I agree with you. I guess I'll, I'll take the devil's advocate's position as I very often do, even when I agree. I guess Eric Seifert would disagree with you because it also enabled so many business to start in the first place. Like. If Facebook and, and to some extent Google, but to the most extent Facebook hadn't been that impressively performing from 2000, say 17, 18 to 2021, a lot of companies wouldn't have come up like that. That's true for apps, uh, games and non-games. That's also true for a lot of, of DTC and e-commerce startups. They really helped a lot of new models coming up and so on. But then at some point you pay the price for it. It's a black box model, high dependency. I mean, for a very long time, I was struggling internally to say, guys, we're spending over 50% of our marketing budget on one channel into, in some case, 80, 90%. I was like, this is a problem. This is a problem for exactly what we were talking about earlier of looking two, three years ahead. Hey, to bring results uh, for this month, Let's do this. That's the best thing we can do, like for sure. But then uh, it raised the whole problem of, of 
I mean, what if the rule of the platform change? What if ATT arrive? What if uh, we're missing something? What if we're not learning? And it's never good to be that reliant. And I guess today, of course, uh, it, it sucks a bit, huh? but uh, that's where we are. And the ones who have got caught harder are not the ones that didn't see it coming, but just like didn't, yeah, they didn't see coming that this was not going to last forever. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like to have the 80 plus percent of the budget of my own company going somewhere. Never good. I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna jump into two lightning round questions because we're running yeah. out of time, and I respect okay, your cool. time. So, yeah. uh, performance indexes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first thing is, it's it can't be perfect. Uh, in the case of one MMP, uh, I've actually worked with them on one of, uh, on several of them, uh, several of these indexes to try to make them better. And the truth is that it's a really hard job. It's not that the MMP is trying to hide the truth or whatever. It's just, it's really hard to achieve, but then people want it. I've got another company that uh, everybody asks them benchmark to, and all they're like, no, we don't want to provide it because we know the answer is not uh, what we want to share. But then people want it. It's very clickbaity. Everybody shares it. Networks are happy. Oh, look, I'm the best 14th network in the subcategory of yeah. Yeah. casual in Korea for the quarter of this. And everybody shares it. Uh, beautiful. That's a great marketing play in a way. But that's not the only way they, they, they do it. The, the, I'm not blaming them. They, they it's good they have it. I do read them. I do live. The thing... I believe what most people errors is, is not reading them in the right way. You need uh, to read the methodology properly. And I would bet that half of people, I let them read it. I ask them a question uh, about how this was calculated or what, what they think they're reading and what they're reading are two different things is what I'm saying. Uh, they're not as easy to read uh, as you think. And that's not because the who write them makes a bad job. It's because this data is inherently complex because of segmenting, because of how the data is defined, different MMP defined things different ways. Uh, and I have to say, they did a massive effort of uh, providing different ones, like, oh, who's growing the faster? Who's better on IAP versus ads? And, and the US and the vertical and the countries and this, and they, they, they're giving us more and more and more every time. Still, like, take it with a pinch of salt. I also think people who read it, when they receive it, and something I do sometimes, not every time, is bring the last three and put them in parallel. Your insights are going to be so much better. Like, don't read one in isolation. It's, it's just wrong. You know, I, like, uh, the marketing aspect of an index, I obviously, like, appreciate. And I would love to do one just because of the marketing, like, value of it. But, mm -hmm. again, if I look at an index from any of the MMPs six years ago, it was, like, Hall of Fame for fraudsters. Yeah. That's why, and plus, plus one thing that I definitely know, okay, so we spoke about it. Attribution is factual. Incrementality is a relative term. Like any, any channel can be incremental at one point and completely useless at another point. I, I don't like using the, I don't like you using the word factual. Is that it's a hard data point, but factual kind of sentence that this is the truth and that's not, it's just a hard data point. Yeah, okay, I, 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 I get that. I will, I will accept that. It's not a fact, as in, fact, you know. It's, I cannot really argue, no. This click led to this install, but it's not. it did not necessarily cause that. 
Well, fair enough. That's what I meant. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I get you. I guess you've been asked this question many, many times, mm-hmm. Thomas. What, what is a random fact about you? Try to really, really come up with something people don't know. A random fact. Uh, I've got at least five and probably ten fantasy sports apps on my phone. That you what actually you use that one. I use at least half of them. Okay. W- so, which sport? Or so I started with a Premier League fantasy. Um, no, actually, I started with Champions League fantasy when it was very niche. They went to Premier League, which is very big. And I'm on the second year of a Formula One fantasy. <laughs> it's kind of a okay. funny one. So, for example, I've got an app that is tracking the price change of, of drivers in, in Formula One. <laughs> that's yeah. Pretty random. Okay, that's very random. And uh, I guess last last question is uh, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm Thomas BCN online. Uh, if you can't find me, I guess you're 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 you're, you're looking in the wrong places. Yeah, you're fairly fairly easy to find. Yeah, I'm fairly easy to find. I have to admit, uh, I tried to reply to every single person who, who do contact me. Uh, and lately I've been struggling a little bit more. So if I don't reply right a second time, I will reply. Like I just have a bit of a cue, but uh, I'm very, I'm very open and I, I love to exchange with peers. I, I think that's how we, that's how we learn. Uh, as we said before, it's, uh, things are changing fast. Nobody has the reality. The only way to figure it out is to actually exchange. So I find a lot of value in uh, exchanging. Um, I'm not saying I'm offering free consulting. I'm saying uh, I'm open to I'm open to the conversation with most people if the value is mutual. But but you do you do actually bring a lot of content and your opinions to the industry, and I'm grateful for that. Actually, I think uh, again looking at it from the side because I'm often in the same communities, but essentially because I'm categorized as a vendor, I don't want to really like step into conversations that make I don't know, my views seem biased. But yeah. I really, really do appreciate the fact that you share your views frequently with people. In, in, in a way, I, I feel I'm in a very privileged position, uh, not, not because my opinion has higher value than others, but because being an independent and not being supported by a company, not having my own, I don't have anything to sell or buy, enables me to enter the conversation without people thinking, yeah, he's saying this because he's representing X or Y. And that's also why I'm very adamant with the, with, towards providers to actually work with most of them, but I can't get affiliated with any of them. Let's say tomorrow I start working with Adjust, Outlier, or Branch, the value of my opinion for a lot of people is going to decrease. And I'm actually enjoying talking to all of them because they've got valuable talent, but I also value the fact that it let me an open door. And there are not so many independent people in the space. You look at the few other that like to voice their opinion, they're also highly valued. It's not, they're not smarter. They've got strong opinions, everything differently than I do. I've got a couple of other examples of, of independent people, a bit less visible, but high value opinion. Uh, it's just, it makes it easier for us uh, to express something and be heard. You can do some shout outs in this podcast. Yeah, I mean, the other one that I talked to, they're a little bit more private, like they talk less in public, but, uh, but, uh, some some incredible talent that is independent. Um, uh, one is an Ukrainian called Zviad that is doing payroll optimization. Uh, one is a French guy that does lifestyle uh, uh, CRM, sorry, uh, life cycle uh, optimization called Alex Gorius, ex-feature. Feature employee is a feature is an incredible place for, I mean, 
the people who come out of feature, they usually have so much success and it says a lot about how they train their, their people and a lot of independent co people coming out of feature are value a lot. They're probably less visible than me in webinars and events and stuff, but uh, I look for their opinion a lot, especially on topics I'm less of an expert in, typically CRM or retargeting. Cool. By the way, I'm interviewing Andy, I think, next week. Yeah, cool. Looking forward to hearing to that one too. Cool. So, Thomas, thank you very much for your time. We went a bit over, but I think the audience will be okay with it. Yeah, fine. I, I hope they stick up to you now, which is a, a really good compliment. So, thank you very much. Cool. And have a lovely rest of the day. Yeah, great. Perfect. Now, bye bye.